0: As was mentioned already at the outset of the announcements, what a delight it is this morning to be able to enjoy not only God's handiwork of creation that we see so powerfully seen outside, but also the greatness of, of course, His spiritual creation, that new man that is each and every one of us who are faithful members of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24. And so it is this morning that perhaps as we begin this portion of our lesson, we might do well to at least recollect a moment some of those features that Brother Ted mentioned in the announcements about our gospel meeting. A very enriching set of activities, worship services, the meals, the fellowship, all of it, was so very powerfully attuned to that which was the frequency of God. The lessons seemed to be so powerful in that they were practical. They reminded us of some great truths in the Bible. They were those matters that we each, as even as Christians, need to be reminded of. The singing was so spirited. It was, in fact, seemingly so lovely to just hear the blessed words of those songs rung out so greatly in this building. The prayers, all of it, including the fellowship meals. Not only on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening, each person that had a part in that did a tremendous job Brother Edward seemed so very appreciative, not only of those meals, but of the fellowship he was able to enjoy, and all of us as well that were happy to participate in it. Perhaps in light of all of that, it would just be good to say that it seems that God was glorified in our activities. It was carried out in a spirit that was proper and Christian in character, And so this morning as we move forward with that gospel meeting behind us, may we use the lessons taught, the fellowship enjoyed to spur us onward and greater forward in our service to the God of heaven. You might have noted, in fact, in the title of the lesson today in which, in fact, some of those words have been apparent in the songs that Brother Trail has led us in. A lesson entitled, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Some opening thoughts about that might well be in order. You might remember that some of the lessons in the meeting, Brother Edward, in fact, touched upon some matters of time, especially in the first three lessons of that meeting. He reminded us of the nature of the brevity of life. He pointed out from James chapter 4 that life is simply but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. But all the while, as one gave thought to those great lessons... There were some other things that occurred to me that could still be shared from the Word of God, and that, in fact, is the subject of our lesson this morning. Again, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. With that said, you'll note near the bottom of that that the focus of our study this morning and the focus of our time will be the subject of time. T-I-M-E. And may I submit to you that one of the first things that might be in order would be to gain a bit of a richer feeling for what is meant by the usage of the word time, but also to take from that these notions of what about yesterday, and what about today, and what about tomorrow. It is with that in mind, here are some initial thoughts about the subject of time. As you can see, in fact, rather quickly, Time is a word that is used in many ways today and it would seem from the way in which the usage is presented that the idea is that time is powerful. It has the ability to create, at least in the language of some. There are those who will claim that time is the hero of the plot and that given enough time, any number of matters may in fact develop or come to pass. I would submit to you that none of those viewpoints is correct. Time at its most basic level is simply this. It is a means. It is a way of measuring a duration. It is a means of measuring an interval, if you please. It may be the interval of some action. It may be the duration of some process. But ultimately, that's all that time is. Beyond that, it has no power. It has no creative ability. It has no thoroughness with which it can bring things to pass simply of its own accord. Time, you see, is not that which has creative capacity within it. Time, again, as interesting as it is, is simply a way of speaking of and making reference to duration. When a child enters the world, a child doesn't make use of calendars. It doesn't make use of wristwatches. It certainly that child will, in fact, inform the parents or others when there's discomfort. It will inform when it's hungry. It will make known matters concerning any displeasure or pain. But as time passes by, if you'll pardon that phrase, it soon learns, that child does, that there are schedules. The school bus passes at a particular time. Classes begin. Even church services are scheduled at a particular time. Isn't it then to be noted that one soon learns about this thing called time and one soon learns about the matter of schedules and the matter of making preparations. In fact, as you'll notice there near the bottom of that slide, time has been a subject of great interest for the ages. Scientists scrutinize it. Politicians philosophize it. Thinkers have great thoughts concerning it. Even the Bible has much to say about time. It is, of course, that which is your interest in mind this morning. What does the Word of God have to say about time? Apart from the thinkers of the day, apart from scientists who may speak great long matters concerning it, what is the teaching of God's Word relative to the subject of time? May I submit to you we might well begin with that phrase there at the bottom. It comes, in fact, from that text that was read in our hearing a bit earlier this morning. Taken from Psalm 90, verse number 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. There it was the plea of the psalmist, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days. And as you can see, that word number really does, in that original language, mean to count in in an arithmetic way or to number it. Teach us to be mindful, to have an awareness of the limited character of our days, and in light of that fact, to seek out wisdom. In fact, that really is the thrust of the last part of that passage, to get a heart of wisdom. It is interesting then from the psalmist and the words thereof that one of the important parts of being wise is to correctly number our days. Let's see what might be meant by that. Initially that may seem a bit confusing, for after all, none of us know the day of our death. We cannot tell what day, in essence, that you and I will pass from the earthly scenes of this life. We aren't aware of that day that the Lord will return either. What then did the psalmist mean when he said, number our days? How can your days and mine be rightly numbered? What thought may have been behind the words of the psalmist on this occasion? Perhaps this would be an interesting way of giving thought to the meaning of numbering our days. First of all, as we've noted already, there is yesterday and today and tomorrow. Or to say that differently, there's the past and the present and the future. The Bible has things to say about all three of them and at least for the next few moments this morning. Let us give some appreciation to the significance of each one, striving to appreciate it rightly and put it into its proper perspective, and thus to build our life in a degree of wisdom around the essence of time. In fact, let us begin with the past, that is to say, yesterday. What are some things the Bible has to say about yesterday? First of all, the Bible is quick to remind us that there is value in the past. There are noteworthy and noble matters that might be stated about that which for you and me is yesterday, or at least some distant point in the past. Here are some thoughts, in fact, that come to mind. Suffice it to say that inasmuch as the past is simply that, the events, the perspectives, the activities of the past were in part a determining factor that sets the stage for the present. The present in many ways is built on and comes out of that which were the events of yesterday. And so it is that you and I should note some of the things the Bible has to say about yesterday, about the past. First of all, there are things to be learned from it. Wasn't it Paul who affirmed in Romans 15, 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Paul on that occasion was quick to point out that those matters, that though they actually took place perhaps centuries in the past, he said that that which occurred had in fact marvelous, timely, and needed lessons for today. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for what our learning. In fact, you might notice in 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, even Peter joined in that discussion when in fact he said, "...this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of that which was spoken afore or before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord." Peter thus enjoined upon them, you need to remember and you need to be reminded of that which took place in days gone by and make proper usage of it in the life of today. Amazingly enough, we've even noticed that many somewhat noteworthy speakers throughout time have in fact stated something similar. I simply quoted for your consideration two of them. An American philosopher, George Santa Anna, made this statement. Probably you've heard it. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. A British statement, Edmund Burke, simply put it like this, Those that don't know history are destined to repeat it. Those two are very similar, of course, and you and I have noted that with regard to the teaching of Romans 15, as well as Second Peter 3, the Bible also encourages us to be aware of and those which rightly learn from the issues of the past. Let's look at that a bit more in detail in the examples here at the bottom. We noted earlier there are things about the past that should be learned. One of those things might well be this. One can learn from the mistakes that others or perhaps even we ourselves have made in the past so that we wouldn't be given to repeat those same matters that were mistakes. I wonder if you and I could ask Abraham today, What was one of the greatest mistakes of your life? And what might you and I today learn from that mistake that he made? I feel rather sure that he might quickly point out to us the events recorded in Genesis 15 in which he went in unto Hagar at the insistence of his wife and out of that activity was born a son named Ishmael. What problems it brought to him, to his family, and, yea, even to the Middle East, even until this day. Problems for sure. May we not, in fact, ask about another. What about the children of Israel and the rank disbelief and unbelief that characterized their way? Here were a group of people who, despite the fact that for so long they had been the very witnesses of the greatness of God's action on their behalf, Yet when the ten spies came back and said, this is indeed the land, but we are unable to take it, God said, because of your disbelief, only two of you are going to enter the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. The rest of you are going to die in this wilderness, and you'll never live to see the land of Canaan. Do you not suspect that they in their better moments would have readily confessed that disbelief and would urge us to learn from that mistake? I feel sure that they would. But not only can we learn from the mistakes of the past, we can also learn from the nobility of the past, that which was noteworthy and approved by God, for we can use it as a proper and rightful example. Consider, for example, the fierce determination of that man you and I know of as Daniel. Here was one who was so far removed from his home place and his hometown, that which was his comfort dwelling. He, after all, by enemy forces, had been dragged and taken to an enemy place. And there he was forced to dwell. But all the while, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Daniel 1 verse 8. Daniel, you see, was a man who with determination wasn't going to allow anything in this foreign land to deter his service to God, to cause him to be unfaithful, and to live in a way that would in fact bring the condemnation of the Heavenly Father upon him. Perhaps as another noble example, what about the work ethic and courage of Nehemiah? A man who went back from the friendly confines of his place to this city of Jerusalem, for which the wall had been broken down. A great deal of work was necessary to repair that wall and to give Jerusalem a safe and homely place in which it could again be the people of God. Nehemiah undertook the challenge and oh how well he carried it out. Doesn't that point out to you and me today the need for bravery and courage, the essence of the need for work in God's kingdom, and also the fierce determination that should characterize us as the people of God? Much more, no doubt, could be said about the past. But some of the warnings from the book of God might also be worthy of note. Perhaps each of us from time to time can be guilty of approaching the past in a way that's unhealthy we can lift the past up to a place that it really doesn't rightly deserve. Have you spoken to someone who often so reminiscently speaks of the good old days? In their mind, nothing today or in the future can ever live up to what was the good old days. That was as good as it has ever been or will ever again be. They almost worship the past. They almost live in the past. They fail to see the opportunities of today because all they can think of is what was in the past. Consider some of these thoughts, if you would. To look at the past in a way like that really is an unhealthy thing, as the Scriptures point out to us. We should never forget that the past also had its sins, it had its problems, it had its difficulties. It wasn't perfect. Jeremiah, in the great moments of Lamentations 5-7, pointed that out, didn't he? He said, our fathers have sinned, and we have borne their iniquities. Jeremiah was quick to point out, fathers, grandfathers, others in the ancient descendancy, they have sinned. They weren't perfect, and we today are suffering, Jeremiah said, for the consequences of what they chose As you and I then think about the past, may we not overlook its problems. May we not think of it as perfect. It too had its shortcomings. It too had those things about it that were imperfect. I would ask you to think about some of the ways the New Testament, in fact, calls upon us to note that. In Philippians 3, beginning in verse 13, the Apostle Paul, as he recalled his former way of life, what was yesterday for him, He said, and did he not say it so well, I count not myself to have apprehended for this one thing I do, forgetting that which was before and looking forward to that which is ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, you see, was well aware of what had been the former lot of his life. Had he made mistakes? Absolutely. He, in fact, had persecuted the very followers of those to whom he now preached. He persecuted the Christ. In Acts 26, he was even one who gave his consent to put to death those that were Christians. In Acts the eighth and ninth chapters, he even had in his possession means whereby he assisted, holding the clothes of those who stoned Stephen. Paul had made his mistakes. He had done his sins. He called himself in 1 Timothy 1.15 the chiefest of sinners. May we not now note though that Paul said that is the past. I no longer live in that style of life. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew he couldn't change one thing about the past. What was is now history. He knew he could live in the present and he could charge forward to make a better future. But the past really was the unchangeable past. You'll notice some other texts that point out something similar. There are times when this mentality leads to problems in the church. Rather than to grasp a new opportunity or to take hold of a new program, someone might say, but that's not the way we've always done it. That isn't the way we used to do it. That isn't the way it once was. And because of that, they're unwilling to see the opportunity that opens and rests before them with this new opportunity for evangelism or benevolence or even edification. You'll notice that the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2.7, Paul admonished, Let that which was the past no longer characterize your current behavior toward that excommunicated man. He has repented. You forgive him. You don't continue to treat him as an excommunicated one. You forgive that man what he did in the past. He has repented of it. And it's now your duty due to his asking of your forgiveness to forgive him. May you and I learn from that valiant lesson as well. The Old Testament has so many examples of where the past was often used as a problem in the present. When the children of Israel left Egypt, how long was it before they started to remember the cucumbers and the onions and the melons they once had? And in fact, in Numbers 14, 4, they said, let us choose as a captain and go back to Egypt. Because of what they remembered, they were interested in going back. They, you see, couldn't see the present blessings, the current promises of God and the reward of the land of Canaan. All they could think about was the past. You'll notice it took a while for God to purge their mind of the thoughts of the past and let them dwell in the future as well as in the present. May you and I thus learn from those some valuable lessons there at the bottom. Change is going to be our lot. We cannot invariably hold on to the past and expect nothing to change. The children of Israel dealt with that in Joshua 5, and may you and I learn the lessons from the past. Not make its mistakes, if at all possible. Take those good things out of it and use them as we approach the present. And so it is, let's come to the present now. What does the Bible say about today? We've looked at what the Scriptures, at least some of what has to be said about the past. Here are some thoughts about the present. Here are some thoughts about today. The Bible is quick to inform us there is also value in the present. Just as surely as there were noteworthy things concerning the past, there are noteworthy things concerning the present. As we've noted previously, one of the first things would be to leave the evil and to leave the sins of the past in the past and not allow them beyond that which we must to impact that which is the present On the other hand, let's take what was the good things in the past, learn from those valuable lessons, and use them to forge not only a better present, but also a more positive future. Might I suggest we can be a bit more specific than that. Paul was, wasn't he? In Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, we find some interesting things concerning the present. Concerning today... In fact, as you'll notice in the language, the uniform instruction of Scripture when it comes to the present is this, to live circumspectly. Maybe that wasn't what you expected me to say. What does this word circumspectly mean? That's the word Paul used, wasn't it? Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16. That word means to live accurately, to live diligently, to live carefully. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Where's that word time? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. What did Paul mean by that? That word redeem, as you'll see at the bottom of that slide, literally means this it means to make the best use of, it means to take the most advantage of an opportunity. Paul was admonishing the Ephesians, Make the most, due to the presence and power of God, of that which is the present. Don't fritter away the opportunities. Don't fail to see them and to use them. Make the most of that which God has given to you today, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The Colossian letter has something similar to that to say in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. But in both instances, we notice the need to walk circumspectly. That verb walk is in present tense. That means today, Randy, walk circumspectly. Paul isn't talking about the past, nor is he talking about the future today. Walk diligently, walk carefully, walk appropriately in light of the opportunities that God gives you and to do so with the realization that God is the one who is blessed with these opportunities. How well do you and I make the most of the time that God has given us? Do we waste away the minutes and the hours, failing to appreciate the fact that once past, never will they come our way again? The past is in fact the past. We can't relive it. We can't recall it in terms of redoing it. It really is a settled part then of history. May we make the most then. And in addition to that, more should and ought to be said. What was Paul's example? And it is such a telling one, isn't it, in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. As Paul, in fact, described to that Corinthian congregation, his example and also the admonition to them, this is what he had to say. "'Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run, that ye may obtain.' For every one that strives for the, for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means after I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. That passage is so carefully contrived concerning the present, isn't it? Paul said, I run, present tense verb. He didn't say, I have run, or I will run. He said, I run. And he admonished the Corinthians to do the same. But to do so, just the same way an athlete would. Notice he said, striving after the mastery is temperate. The matter of self-control. Do you and I live day by day in a self-controlled way, aware of that which is the permissive capability of the Scriptures and avoiding that which God has condemned? Paul said we should. And he noted that even himself, lest I, should be a castaway. Arguably the greatest preacher the New Testament era has ever known. And even Paul said, I can become a castaway if I don't daily carefully, adequately, and always bring my body under subjection to follow that which is the will of God. That's the present, isn't it? No wonder the psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Part of numbering our days is to realize what the past offered and learned from it, but to appreciate that today is the present, and this is in which you and I now live. And it's that which should be lived, redeeming the time. It might well be noted as you proceed onward. Youth are especially given admonition concerning this point. And so it is to the youth particularly, I would ask each of us to remember Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1. To you young people, as you think about redeeming the time of your life, and making the most of your opportunities, listen to what Solomon, the wise man of the ages, affirmed. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Young people, remember your Creator. Be aware of His Word and let nobody, let nobody, deter you from servicing Him. No matter what your friends may assert, no matter what your pals may teach, no matter the example or influence they may assert, you be attuned always unto God in remembering. That's what will be involved in redeeming the time for your life. For those of us who are older, may we again not forget to number our days that we may apply our hearts and obtain wisdom. All of this takes us to the future. In the last few moments of our lesson, what does the Bible say about the future? We've looked a bit at the past and certainly the present. May we also say that there are many things in the Bible about that which for us is tomorrow, that which is the future, but might we note this, tomorrow is not a reality. In fact, it may never be. We are not promised it. And yet, isn't it amazing that so many in our world live their lives fully attuned to the the future? They seem to have little interest in the present and maybe no interest in the past. They only live for tomorrow. That, my friends, is dangerous and it's unhealthy. And it certainly is not what the Scriptures would portray to us. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And that lesson Brother Edward brought the other day, in which he so carefully helped us appreciate better, James chapter 4, what is your life? It is just a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. He made note so interestingly that one may say, "Well, I'll go into a city and buy and sell and get gain and stay there a year, whereinfore ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we will do this or that. James 4.15 You'll notice that the careful insertion of if the Lord will, the understanding the future isn't guaranteed to us. If it be the plan and will of God, this earth shall stand another day. I may not be here upon it, and neither may you be. But if it does, we should have the intent of some of these things we're now about to see. When it comes to the intent of the future, listen to some of the writers in the Bible. First of all, we know that if the future does come to be reality, it will have its sins, and it will have its problems. Wasn't it Jesus who said, "...sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof?" Matthew 6, 34. And wasn't it the Lord who in Matthew 13, verse 40, as He gave the description of the end of time, He said the tares are still going to be there. The children of the devil are still going to be in abundant number. That reminds us, doesn't it, the future is going to have its troubles and its problems. But in light of all of that, isn't it true that you and I, as we give thought for it, that does require careful planning on our part, to be good stewards, and to have the intent of good stewardship. I'm reminded of what the psalmist asserted in Psalm 116, verse 9. Using a future tense verb, the psalmist said, I will be the servant of the Lord. Is that your intent for tomorrow, for Tuesday, for Wednesday? Is it mine Is it our concerted, determined, and dedicated intent, no matter what tomorrow brings, to be the servant of the Lord? Also in Psalm 118, verse 17, we are also reminded about that critical cog and link that faithfulness in the future shall bring. Many other examples, of course, concerning the intent of the Scriptures of the future might be noted. Let me just ask you to quickly note some of these. Wasn't it Jesus who in Matthew 28, verses 18 and following, made note of the future matters when He said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. That requires us to be walking in His kingdom. Is that your intent and mine tomorrow? In Colossians 3, 17, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is that our intent tomorrow? You'll notice in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. The Bible, you see, speaks so often about the hope that the Christian has. A hope that is steadfastly founded on the reality not only of present life, but on the promises that God has given relative to the future. We understand the future isn't guaranteed for us in the flesh, but we do know there will be a future. Even if you or I pass from the scenes of this life today, we know tomorrow we'll be alive somewhere. We'll be in the Hadean realm. We'll be in a place in which there shall be existence. Are we ready for it? Are we living today redeeming the time so that we shall be pleasing to God then? I'd submit to you, Paul said, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Romans 8:18, 8, And in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, he also stated that our present afflictions are but for a moment, but they work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Past, present, future. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. The Bible has much to say about all of them, but might we conclude our lesson by looking again at quickly two of those verses we used. "'Teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom.'" and to, in fact, redeem the time, seeing that the days are evil. Much more could be said, and Brother Edward reminded us the other day that life was fleetingly fast. It passes so swiftly. May we make the most of that which is our allotted placement here and for the duration that we have before us. Today, my friend, are you a Christian? Are you living life to the fullest in the kingdom of God? If you're not, why not? You can offer no good reason to that, for Jesus sent His Son to die for you. He, in fact, shed His innocent, precious blood that you could be saved from sin and live with Him forever. Are you going to ignore that offering? Are you going to neglect that? You do so to your own eternal peril. If today we could be of assistance to you in your becoming a child of God... Realize the plan of salvation is this. You must hear the word of the Lord. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His great name as the Son of God and be baptized. If we could assist you in that today, it would be an eternal change for you as you put on that new man in Ephesians 4.24. If you have become a Christian but you have not been faithful, maybe you've lost sight of the value of time. You've begun to allow weeks which have turned into months and maybe even years and you have not been redeeming the time really. You've allowed far too much of it to slip by unused profitably for God. If you need to come back to your first love today in the words of Revelation 2.5, we could pray for you and with you and that we'd be happy to do. We would only ask you to let us know in what way we can be of help as you seek to redeem the time and to number your days. If we can be of help to you, will you not come while together we stand and while we sing?